0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Riverside Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise God. Let's turn over to the book of Ephesians. And tonight I want to share with you some real simple things. But it's, it's not hard, but it's just different than what most of us have been taught and the way that we've thought. And you know, let me just make a couple of statements here before I get right into this. But the scripture says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Most people really don't agree with that. They think that, no, you don't understand. My problems are because of what happened to me, what somebody else has done. It's because the color of my skin. It's because of my lack of education. It's because of this. And we blame all of these other things. But the Bible says that your life is going the way of your dominant thought. If you are having problems in your life, it's because of the way you think. And if you want to change, you've got to change the way you think. That usually goes over about like that. People are just shocked when you say stuff like this because again, we blame other people and things and circumstances and we feel totally out of control and there's nothing I can do about it. That is not true. Your life goes the direction of your dominant thoughts, not your desires, not what you're begging and pleading God for, but the way you think. This is the reason that Romans chapter 12 verse two says, and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you get transformed is by changing the way you think. I'll tell you, this is huge, the points that I've just made right here. So let me say that the book of Ephesians is a totally different way of thinking. Most people believe that God can do anything, but that He has done nothing or very little and they are in the process of begging God and pleading with God to do something, asking God to heal them. I had one guy come up tonight, and he says, I need God to heal me. I've been praying for five years or whatever, and I've been praying for God to heal me, and I don't know what the problem is. And I said, well, one of the things is, that you don't know that God has already done it. You are waiting on God to heal you. God is waiting on you to find out what He's already done, and you're the one that releases healing. Healing is not up to God, it's up to you. There's a few amens on that, but some people still struggle with this and say, what are you talking about? Anyway, I'm not going to teach on healing tonight, but... This attitude that I'm talking about will apply towards healing or towards anything else. God has already done His part. He is seated at the Father's right hand. That means He's not doing things. He's not pleading for you. He's not doing this. He makes intercession, but it's not begging God. He's already done that. It's already been accomplished. The Scripture says, 1 Peter 2, 24, by His stripes we were healed. God has already healed every person he's ever going to heal. He's not healing people anymore. And some people think, oh man, I missed it. No, he's already done it. And he placed this raising from the dead, healing power on the inside of you. He put this power on the inside of you. And if people get healed, you're the one that releases it. You know, here's another statement that's going to shock some of you, but there are not scriptures that tell us to pray and ask God to heal people. There are scriptures that say in Matthew chapter 10 that he gave us power over all sickness, over all disease, over all demons to cast them out. And then he says, you heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils freely you have received, freely give. And then there's an instance in the third chapter of the book of Acts where Peter and John were walking into the temple And they saw this man who had been lame for 38 years. And they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they just reached down and grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. They never prayed for him. They didn't ask, they didn't say, Oh God, we have nothing, we are nothing, we can do nothing, but we know that you can do all things. Would you please heal this man? See, that's the way that people pray today. One of the reasons that we aren't seeing the power of God operate is because we believe God can do it, but we don't believe He has done it. We don't believe that we have any authority, and so we come as beggars. And we say, oh God, would you please heal? You know, if God could be confused, I believe that God would be confused. I believe that God would be saying something to Jesus like, didn't you tell them that by your stripes they were healed? He says, honest, it's in there somewhere. I know, I, I told them it's... You know, if God was like us, I, he'd be confused because he says, by his stripes we were healed and yet we're saying, oh God, I'm not healed, heal me. You were healed. How do you understand this? See, the book of Ephesians is written differently I'm going to point some of these things out, but it's written from the standpoint of everything already being done. And it's a matter of us appropriating what God has already provided instead of begging God to do something. It's a huge difference. And most people do not understand this. Look right here in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God... To the saints which are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. That means it's already been done. Hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're already blessed. And yet how many people do I meet who are saying, man, I just need a blessing. I need you to pray that God would bless me. How do you pray that God would do something that He's already done? I know some of you think I'm splitting hairs and making a big thing out of nothing, but this is important. The way you think is the way your life goes. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And most of us think, oh, God, please heal me. Oh, God, please prosper me. When the Bible says that he's already commanded his blessing upon you. Whatever you touch is already blessed, that you'll be the head and not the tail. He's already commanded these things. Instead of embracing failure, sickness, poverty, depression, and all of these kind of things and saying, I'm going to head towards healing. See, that attitude, you already start from a position of failure and say, but I am going to prosper. I will win. But but you made a statement that you aren't there yet. Something could happen. You know, if this was sickness here and I said, but healing's over there, I am going to get there. And if I started heading that way, well, somebody could tackle me. I could trip and fall. Something could happen. I might never make it. But if I was way over here and if this was healing and I said, no, I'm already healed. If I start from a position of healing and I fight to defend what God has already given me, it is so much easier to keep something that God has already given you than it is to go get something that you don't have. That is a huge difference. You won't doubt that you'll get what you've already got. You know, this is so simple. You got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand this. But we've had a lot of help misunderstanding this. You know, this platform is too tall for me to jump up and down here. But usually I'll walk down here on the front row and I'll give my Bible to somebody. And they're holding my Bible. And I'll say, now, what would you do if after I've given this person my Bible, they say, please, could I have your Bible? What if, if a person asks you for something that you've already given them, how do you respond to that? You'd probably just look at them and not know what to say. It'd probably be just silence, very similar to what we get when we're praying and asking God to give us what we've already got. God has already done it. This is what is saying. You're already blessed, and yet we're praying for God to bless us. People come and say, would you just please pray that God would just love me and pour His love out in my life? No, I won't do that. That's an insult to God. Somebody says, well, what's wrong with that? He says that the love of God has already been shed abroad in your heart. It says in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And on and on, I could go with scriptures. God has already commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter five, verse eight. God has got the spigot on. The, the love of God is flowing. If you aren't feeling the love of God, it's not God that's not giving. It's you that doesn't receive. Man, this makes a huge difference when you begin to start saying saying that, God, I believe you love me, that you've already shown it through Jesus. Now, I will admit this, that there's times we don't feel the love of God. There's times that we don't feel the blessing of God. I'm not saying that we always are walking in the fullness of it, but when you come to that place, how do you deal with it? If you go to God and start saying, oh God, please just do something. Well, then you are in unbelief. You are against what the word of God says that you've already been blessed and you are now begging God to do something. The Bible says he's already done his part. It's not God's turn. It's your turn to stir yourself up and start believing and appropriating what God has already done. There's a big difference between that. So he says, you're already blessed. In the next verse, verse four, it says, according as he hath chosen us. Notice again, I could just point this out in every couple of words in this thing, but he says, he hath chosen us. You're already chosen. God is not in the process of looking around and trying to choose people. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before you and I were ever born, God chose you. God knew what was going to happen, and He's already chosen you. It also says in Romans chapter 8, He's already predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. God doesn't control you and make His will come to pass in your life. You have total choice, but He has a perfect plan for you that was already planned before anything ever came along. Before the world was ever formed, God already had anticipated who you would be, what situation you would live in, and how to get you to overcome. He has a perfect plan for your life. There is nothing going to happen to you that God hadn't already anticipated and He's already created a supply before you ever have the need. God's already done everything. Now, He's not going to make you fulfill His will, but it's already chosen. It's not a matter of you having to go to God and tell Him your bad situation and say, oh God, you've got to do something. God's already solved your problem before you have the problem. It's just a matter of you going and saying, Father, I know that you anticipated this. I know that you've supplied me with everything. You've already blessed me. You've already done this. Give me wisdom. How do I operate in this? How do I flow in this? That is a totally different approach than what most people have. He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Notice again the terminology, He hath made us accepted. It's already done. And this word, made us accepted, hath made us accepted, did you know that the Greek word that is used here was only used twice in the New Testament? This is, of course, one instance. And the other instance is in Luke chapter 1 where the angel appeared unto Mary and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. That's the other time that that was used. It was translated right here, hath made us accepted. And in Luke chapter 1, it was translated uh, highly favored. So this is saying that we have already been highly favored, accepted in God. God loves you, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did for you. And your acceptance of Jesus instantly makes you accepted, highly favored by God. And yet, see, the most of the body of Christ thinks, no, I've got to do these things for God to favor me, for God to accept me. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He's already accepted you. God loves you as much right now as He will love you after a million years in eternity. The only difference is we don't perceive it. When we get to heaven, we'll know all things, even as also we're known. And we're gonna see and understand God's great love for us. And man, that's gonna change everything. But to the degree that you can renew your mind, you can receive the love of God right now. You heard Alexis talk about how she found out how much God loved her and it's just changed her life. Did you know God didn't start loving her six years ago? (laughs) He loved her the whole time. She just began to understand and receive it in a greater degree six years ago and she's still renewing her mind and learning. But it's not God who loves some people. It's not God who heals some people and doesn't heal others. God has already done everything. He's seated at the Father's right hand. There are some people who reach out and receive it and there's other people who spend their entire life begging God to do what he's already done. The truth is you're already blessed, you're already chosen, you're already predestinated, you're already accepted, highly favored in the Lord. You've already had your sins forgiven. In verse 7 it says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You've already got your sins forgiven. You know, I hesitate to even mention this because I don't have time to explain it, but... You've had all of your sins forgiven, past, present, and even the ones you haven't committed yet are already forgiven. And some people just overdose on that one like, how could God forgive a sin before you commit it? Well, you better pray that he can forgive a sin before you commit it because he only forgave our sins one time 2,000 years ago. And if he didn't forgive your sins in advance, then your sins can't be forgiven. He's not dying for you now. He's not shedding his blood now. It's already done. He's already paid for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter two, verse two, your sins have been forgiven. Does this mean that, well, man, that's awesome. I can just go live in sin. Stupid. That's just stupid. Even though God's forgiven our sins, Satan has a direct inroad to your life through sin. So you take the grace of God First of all, if you really experience the grace of God, it would cause you to live holier accidentally than you've ever lived on purpose before. <laughs> Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men. Verse 12 says teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously in this present world. Grace will teach you to live holy, not to go live in sin. So any person who would say, well, man, this is great. My sins are forgiven. I can go live in sin. You ought to get born again. You aren't saved. First John chapter three, verse three says, every man, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. If you don't have a desire to live for God and glorify God, if you are saying, man, I love this grace because I can go live in sin, You ought to get born again. Your heart's not changed. If you're truly born again, you want to live for God. You may be doing a poor job of it because religion will take away the power from your life. But if you're truly born again, you want to live for God. You don't want to come under the dominion of all of this stuff. So anyway, God has already forgiven your sins. It's it's already done. If you just go live in sin, God still loves you, but you're just stupid. But God loves you, stupid, is the point I'm trying to get across. Amen. Anyway, everything's already, I could just keep reading all of these. Let me jump down to verse 14. Or let's go to verse 15. He begins to pray a prayer. And I want to just point out that everything he's praying here is that you would just get revelation of what you've already got. Let me ask you this before I read this. If I was to say that 2,000 years in advance, people are going to read a prayer that you write for them. And if I had everybody just sit down tonight and write a prayer for people 2,000 years in the future, how would you pray for them? Think about that for a second. And based on my relationship with people, and I've been into so many churches and heard people pray, most people are praying and they'd say something like, oh God, just send revival. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Oh God, move. Oh God, do a new thing. And and oh God, send the fire. And we, we would pray and be begging God to do something to get these people going. Look at Paul's prayer right here. He's just praying that they would get a revelation of what God has already done. He's not begging God to do something. He's praying that God would open up their understanding to what he's already done. That's a totally different mindset. It's a totally different paradigm. So in verse 15, he says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your love in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, or faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Man, that is a powerful passage right there. I haven't got time to really go into this, but you ought to compare this with Ephesians chapter four, verses 17 and 18, and look this up in the Greek. This could change your life. This is an awesome passage of scripture. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Notice again what he's praying. He's not saying, God, open up their eyes and let them see your glory in heaven and let them get a vision of what things are going to be in the future. He's praying, God, show them the riches of the glory of your inheritance that is in the saints. The glory of God is already in you. Titus or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says you have been called to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not in the future. In the future our body is going to be glorified. In the future our soul will be glorified and changed. But right now in your spirit, your spirit is already glorified. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. Not so are we going to be in the next world, but so are we in this world. People, see, if you were to get that book I was talking about earlier on spirit, soul, and body, this would just change your life. Because see, I saw some of these things and what I would do when it said that we had the glory of God, that as Jesus is, so am I. I'd go look in the mirror and I'd think, this is the way Jesus is? And I'd see zits and hairs out of place and different things and ugly and I'd just think, this can't be like Jesus. This isn't, right? And then I'd search my emotions and I'd, I'd find emotions that weren't right. And I'd think, this can't be like Jesus. And most people are only aware of two parts of them. That's your physical body and your inner personality, your feelings and your emotions. And that's all that most people are in touch with. And if you search that realm, and if you don't see the glory of God, if you don't have goosebumps going up and down your spine, If you don't have a halo radiating from around you and stuff, you just think, well, I don't have the glory of God. It's not talking about your body and it's not talking about your soul. But when you get born again, it's your spirit that gets changed. And in your spirit, you are identical to Jesus. As he is, so are you in this world, not just in the one to come, but so are you in this world. Your spirit right this moment is as righteous, as holy, as pure as Jesus if you've been born again because you have the spirit of his son that has been sent into your heart crying Abba Father. Galatians chapter four says that and it says in Romans chapter eight verse nine, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So if anybody's saying, well, I don't know if that's true of me, well, then you aren't born again, because when you get born again, you have the spirit of His Son sent into your heart. And you can't see that spirit, but I'm telling you, according to the Word, it's here. And this is what He's praying right here that you would see, the, the, the riches of the glory of His inheritance that's in you. If you could ever see what you have, if you could see yourself the way that God sees you, the way that you are in the Spirit... It is solve everything. You know, I believe that it would be impossible to be depressed, fearful, defeated, any of these kind of things if you really knew who you were and what you had in the spirit. It's impossible. There's nothing depressing in your spirit. People that are depressed are people who are focused on the physical natural realm and they're looking at things only in the physical realm. And did you know, actually, if you're only looking in the physical realm, you should be depressed. (laughs) I actually saw a bumper sticker one time that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) And you know what? If all you're talking about is just the physical realm, that's true because, I mean, there's a lot of bad things that happen. I've had two or three people in the last week die. I've got two people right now. I'm dealing with it unless the Lord intervenes. They're going to die. I had a brother-in-law die just a few days ago. You know, life is a terminal experience. I don't care how young you are. Someday you're going to be dead if Jesus doesn't come back. And if all you did was look at the physical things, you should be depressed. But there is a spiritual realm and we have a promise of life afterwards that is so glorious it says we won't even think about what has happened here on this earth. And so because of that, you shouldn't be depressed. And if you were to see who you are in Christ and to see the glory that you have, if you were focused on that, I guarantee you there's nothing depressing in that. All you have in your spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. In your spirit, you are full of love. So why do you pray for God to love you? It's because you're in the flesh, the physical, instead of in the spirit. If you were in the spirit, you would have love. You've already got it. I know some of you are thinking, this is weird. The only thing that's weird is it's different than the way that we've been brought up to think that we're only two parts. We're only physical, we're only emotional. But I'm telling you, there is a spirit part of you on the inside that the only way you can tell what's true in the spirit is to look in the word of God. The Bible said, Jesus said this in John chapter six, verse 63, says the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words are spirit and life. So if you want to know what you're like, go look in the Word. Turn over to Ephesians 1, 3 and say, man, I'm blessed. You know, when people come up and ask me how I am, I'm always going to tell them I'm blessed. And I've had people before say, oh, I know, but I want to know how you really are. And I say, I'm really blessed. And they'll say, well, I wanna know how you feel. And I say, I don't care how I feel. I'm telling you who I am and what I have and I'm blessed. And you aren't gonna get anything out of me except that I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm already blessed. It's already done. I'm not trying to get God to bless me. I'm not headed towards a victory. I'm coming from a victory. Jesus has already won it. I've already won. I'm not trying to get healed. I'm already healed. Satan's trying to make me sick and I'm not receiving it. I'm fighting for what I've already got. There's a difference. This is what he's praying that you would see the the greatness, the riches of the glory of his power that's already in you. If God had to replace what he's put in your born again spirit, he'd have to bankrupt heaven. He'd have to peel up all of the streets of gold. He'd have to cash in everything he's got to replace what's already on the inside of you. You've already got it, but we don't know what we've got. And so we are asking God for these things that he's already given us. Man, that's awesome. I don't know if that does anything for you, but that blesses me. And then in the next verse, verse 19 He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's wanting you to understand the exceeding greatness of his power towards you, the same power that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You've already got that power. And yet how many Christians say, oh God, I know that you're all powerful, but I have nothing. I can do nothing. I mean, this is just nearly a default prayer that people pray, and they say, oh, God, we're nothing. We can do nothing. Would you stretch forth your mighty hand and touch this person? You are blaspheming what God says when you pray that way because God says that you have the exceeding greatness of His power that He used when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's already in you, and for you to say, I'm nothing, and I can do nothing, You're you're countering everything that God has done. You're starting from a position of unbelief. You're saying that God's Word isn't true. You're saying that God hasn't done anything. And some of you are thinking, but it's true, I don't have anything. You're only searching your physical, emotional realm and that's the only two parts that most people realize. The, The third part of you cannot be felt, it can't be perceived any other way except through the Word of God. James chapter one says, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberties like a man looking and beholding his face in a glass. This Bible is like a spiritual mirror. If you want to see if your hair is combed, you have to go look in a mirror. You can't go by how your hair feels. You know, right now, I hope my hair is combed, but I couldn't tell you by feeling whether my hair is combed or not, I'd have to look in a mirror. Did you know you would never seen your face? Some of you think, well, I have to. I see it every morning in the mirror. You've seen a reflection of your face. You've seen a picture of your face. You've seen a drawing of your face. You have never with your eyes looked at your face. How do you know what you look like? You trust that reflection. But you know what? I've seen mirrors. I was over in Uganda and right next to the elevator was this Florida ceiling mirror that was distorted. And it made you look short and fat. And then on the other side, it made you look tall and skinny. All of you have seen mirrors that, you know, don't reflect properly. It distorts. How do you know that what you're seeing is accurate? I'm not really trying to get you to doubt what you see in the mirror, but I'm just using this to illustrate that, you know, you have never seen your face, but you trust the reflection and you think that that's you. And you've gotten so used to that mirror image. Did you, did you know when you look at a mirror image, if you hold up your right hand in the mirror, it's your left hand? Have you all ever thought of this? I've, I've discussed this with my wife and she still doesn't get this. I don't know if this is just my wife or if it's women and men, I don't know, but... You know, I'll uh, tell Jamie she's got something right here on her chin and if I point over here to my right side, she will instantly point, I mean, reach over to her left side. The mirror image is just the way she thinks. But when you're on television and you look at yourself on a screen like we've got a monitor right underneath my television camera and when I hold up my right hand, guess what? On On the television, it's my right hand. It's on the other side. Anyway, I'm saying all of this to say that whether you've thought about it or not, you aren't seeing you directly. You are seeing a reflection and you can manipulate that. You can change it. You can move it. You can distort it. How do you know it's correct? You've just learned to trust it. We ought to get to where we trust this more than you trust a mirror image. And when this says you're blessed with all spiritual blessings and you say, bless God, I'm blessed. I don't know where they are, but I know I'm blessed, amen. (laughs) I may not know how to get them, but I'm blessed. I mean, if you were absolutely, totally convinced that God already loves you, that God's already blessed you, that you've already highly favored, that you've already got this inheritance, that you already have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. If you were convinced that you had it, you would keep at it until eventually you tapped into it and saw something happen. But people just give little token things. They step out and they weren't really confident that God had given them this power. And if things just don't work immediately, well, then they get discouraged and quit. But when you know that you've got it, I mean, an old blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. And if you were just convinced that I've got it and I'm not going to quit, you'd see things happen. Jamie and I, when we first got started, we had never heard faith teaching. We didn't know any of this stuff. We just had a miraculous encounter with the Lord. We started believing the Word. It says that we'd do the same works that He did. We didn't know what we were doing, but we knew we had the power of God. We didn't know how to get it out. We didn't understand very much, but you know what? We just started laying hands on anything that moved. We started praying for people, and I saw blind eyes open. I saw deaf ears open. I started seeing miracles before I ever heard of Copenhagen. Copeland and Hagen, (laughs) I, I saw miracles happen. And then I found out people teaching about what we were doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but we started seeing miracles just because we knew somewhere we had this power of God. And when you know you've got it, you won't put up with sickness and disease and poverty and stuff. You'll start using it. I'm telling you, this makes a difference to know that you have the exceeding greatness of his power, the same power that he used when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Don't you think the power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead is sufficient for your cold, for your headache, for your hangnail? Man, that's awesome. You know, the church that I go to puts on these elaborate Easter things. And they have, I mean, they'll have hundreds of people on the stage doing an Easter thing. And they'll have this uh, guy who personifies the devil. He's dressed in all black and terrible looking. And at every crowd, he'll be yelling, you you know, you cast out devils through the prince of devils, Beelzebub. And every bad thing that's said, it's always this guy that instigates it. And the point that's being made is that it was all instigated by the devil. He's personifying the devil. And then when it comes to the crucifixion and then the resurrection, this guy who's playing the devil and uh, representing the devil at the resurrection, they've got the tomb there and the stone rolled over it. And this guy is just pushing on that stone with everything he's got, trying to stop Jesus from being raised from the dead. And then they have this big explosion and puff of smoke And when the smoke clears, the stone is laying on top of the devil and Jesus is standing on top of the stone like this. And it really paints a great word picture that Satan marshaled everything he had to try and stop Jesus from being raised from the dead. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, that was the greatest display of God's power that the universe has ever seen. Creating the universe, the stars, the, all of these things was nothing compared to raising Jesus from the dead because there was no opposition to creation. There wasn't a demon. There wasn't a devil. He hadn't rebelled yet. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, you had all of the power of the devil against God, and yet Jesus was raised from the dead. That is the greatest release of God's power that the universe has ever seen. And this says that God is praying that you would get your eyes open to the power that you have, the same power that He used when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead you've got raising from the dead power on the inside of you already. It's not out there that you've got to get it. It's already in you. If you're born again, you've got the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. That's awesome. If you really had a revelation of that, if you really believe that, I guarantee you your life would be different you would not settle for the stuff that you settle for. You wouldn't sit there and say, well, after all, I'm over 40, and after 40, you gotta start having problems. If you got the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if you got the same power that caused Moses to live 120 years old and he climbed Mount Nebo when he was 120 years old, can you see a 120-year-old man climbing a mountain? Most of us don't think that way, but Moses climbed a mountain when he was 120 years old. It says, his natural force wasn't abated, nor his eyesight dim. If Moses had that, and he didn't have as much power as what we have, if Moses split the Red Sea, and if he didn't have as much power as what we have, if he did all of these things that he did, and what we have is greater, if you really understood that you had that power, I guarantee you, you'd start being well. You'd start being happy. You'd start ministering it and releasing it towards other people. You would quit letting the devil eat your lunch and pop the bag. You would quit allowing the devil to just rule over you if you understood that you have this power on the inside of you. Man, that's awesome. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the problem isn't that God hasn't done His part. The problem is that we don't know what we have. We only know ourselves in the physical realm. We only know our physical limitations. We see ourselves incorrectly. We've got an identity problem. We don't know who we are. In the next verse, are you still in Ephesians? Chapter 2, verse 1 And you hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive. You hath, past tense. It's already done. If you're born again, you've already been risen from the dead. Your body's not raised from the dead, but your spirit is raised from the dead. It has raising from the dead power in it. You have already got this raising from the dead power in you who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom we also all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's describing how we were before we got born again. And in verse four, it says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ By grace, you're saved. He has made you alive with Christ and hath, that means already, raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This same thing is said over in Colossians chapter three. Colossians and Ephesians are basically the same teaching, just written to two different churches, but you can see the parallels. You can study Ephesians and study Colossians and compare them and get a greater revelation of what's being said. And in Colossians chapter three, verse one, it says, um, I'm gonna have to turn over there and read this. Colossians chapter three, verse one, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. It's saying the same thing. You've already been raised with Christ. Your spirit is seated in heavenly places. I know this is hard for us to get hold of because we're so finite minded, but you are... You are reigning with Christ. You are in heavenly places. You are already blessed. You have raising from the dead power in you. Your spirit right this moment is as perfect, as pure, as powerful, as anointed, everything as it will ever be in all of eternity. Your spirit's already that way. One third of your salvation is over. When you get to heaven, your spirit's not going to be cleansed. It's not gonna have to be dusted off, washed, purged, injected with anything to make it more like it's supposed to be. Your spirit is right this moment the way it will be a million years from now in eternity. Your spirit is perfect. It's identical to Jesus as he is, so are we in this world. Your spirit is perfect. It's raised from the dead. You're seated in heavenly places. The problem is our mind doesn't understand what we've got and our bodies haven't changed. You're still the same person physically. You know, people come forward at my meetings and I lead them in prayer and they get born again. And when they get born again, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible says you become a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. But when they pray, did you know if they were a woman, they're still a woman. If they were a man, they're still a man. If they were short, they're still short. If they're fat, they're still fat. If they were ugly, they're still ugly. (laughs) Did you know that nothing in the physical realm changes? And their mental, emotional realm doesn't just automatically change. They still have some of the same thoughts. They have the same memories. They still remember the same place that they grew up in. They have their memories, not my memories. Their soul doesn't just instantly change. And because of this, some people wonder, did anything really happen? But the Bible says all things pass away and all things become new. What's it talking about? By process of elimination, it's not talking about your body. It's not talking about your soul. It's talking about your spirit. Your spirit is completely new and it's risen with Christ and it has raising from the dead power on the inside of it. You've already got this. You don't need to get it. You've already got it. You don't need to get more from God. What you need is a revelation of what you've already got in your heart. This is why we get transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That word transformed is the word that we get metamorphosis from. If you want to change like a worm spinning a cocoon and coming out a butterfly, if you want to transform, you do that by the renewing of your mind. You don't need God to give you more faith. You've already got the faith of Christ on the inside of you. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Romans chapter 12, verse three says that you've already got the faith of Christ. And yet how many people say, oh God, just give me more faith. You don't need more faith. You need revelation of what you've already got and to learn how faith works. There are laws that govern how faith works. But you've already got faith. You've already got it. You just got to learn how to use it. Y'all are looking at me weird. If you were really getting what I'm saying, it seems like this ought to excite you to find out that you've already got what you've been begging God for. But this is so different to most people, it just kind of shocks them. They're sitting there processing this, trying to figure out, what, how could this be? But God has already done everything. You don't need to ask God to heal you. What you've got to do is get a revelation that by His stripes I was healed. And I have this power on the inside of me. And that I can say to this mountain, be removed. You know, Mark 11:23, 23, where Jesus taught about how he cursed the fig tree. He said in Mark 11:23, 23, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. That says there that you have to say to this mountain, Most people talk to God and say, oh God, move this mountain. God told you to talk to the mountain, not talk to Him about your mountain. There's a difference. AND YOU MAY HAVE TO THINK ABOUT THIS, BUT IF YOU REALLY THINK ABOUT IT, WHAT HE'S SAYING IS YOU HAVE TO UNDERSTAND THAT YOU HAVE THIS RAISING FROM THE DEAD POWER ON THE INSIDE OF YOU, AND INSTEAD OF YOU ASKING GOD TO MOVE THE MOUNTAIN, YOU TAKE YOUR AUTHORITY AND YOU COMMAND THE MOUNTAIN TO MOVE. YOU SPEAK TO THE MOUNTAIN. It didn't say anything in there about you praying and asking God to move the mountain to get rid of your problem. It told you to take your authority and speak to this mountain and command that mountain to move. If you really think about it, that means this is an attitude of a person who knows what they've got and they are gonna take their authority and command that cancer to leave, command that poverty to go, command this depression to be gone. YOU BELIEVE THAT YOU'VE ALREADY GOT IT, THAT YOU'VE GOT THIS POWER, AND THESE THINGS ARE SUBJECT TO YOU. JAMES, CHAPTER 4, VERSE 7 SAYS, SUBMIT YOURSELVES, THEREFORE, UNTO GOD. RESIST THE DEVIL, AND HE WILL FLEE FROM YOU. HE DOESN'T FLEE FROM GOD, HE FLEES FROM YOU. IT'S GOD'S POWER, BUT IT'S IN YOU. AND UNTIL YOU ACTIVATE IT AND BEGIN TO START RESISTING THE DEVIL, he won't flee. You can beg God to make the devil leave you alone all day long, and he's not going to leave you alone until you resist the devil and take your power and speak to that mountain. All of these things I'm talking about come from an attitude of believing that God has already done his part, that when Jesus died, he did everything. He says, It is finished. He is not healing people. He's not setting people free. He's not delivering people. He did it all. He broke the dominion of sin, of sickness, of disease. He's already healed all sickness, all disease. He's already prospered every person. You're already blessed with all spiritual blessings. He is seated at the Father's right hand. AND NOW IT'S UP TO YOU TO BE TRANSFORMED BY THE RENEWING OF YOUR MIND, AND YOU PROVE THE GOOD, ACCEPTABLE, AND THE PERFECT WILL OF GOD. YOU SPEAK TO YOUR MOUNTAIN, AND YOU COMMAND THAT MOUNTAIN TO GET OUT OF YOUR WAY. YOU RESIST THE DEVIL, AND HE WILL FLEE FROM YOU. AND YET, THE AVERAGE CHRISTIAN, SO MANY PEOPLE COME TO ME. YOU KNOW, I PRAY WITH, I DON'T KNOW, DOZENS OF PEOPLE BEFORE A SERVICE. And the average person will come to me and just, it's so pitiful about, I'm in such a bad situation, there's nothing I can do. Would you please pray and ask if God would do something? If I was God, I'd just drop kick you right off the planet. And I know some of you think, well, that's not very compassionate. I'm saying it's a good thing I'm not God. He's much more compassionate than I am. But people say, well, it's, isn't it just terrible? Well, I have compassion for people, but I don't have sympathy. There's a the difference. And people that come just advocating their authority, advocating, or how do you add to, add, anyway, they are, they are denying who they are and what they have. People who do that It's just like it's nearly impossible to get them to receive because they're starting from a total position of unbelief and fear and doubt. I'm telling you, you've got to recognize that instead of you being the one who's pitiful, this sickness, cancer is pitiful. You're the one that's got power and authority. Jesus is exalted above every name. If they can put a name on it, Jesus is above it. Amen. And you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and you are above it. We read those verses, the same power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead when he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, and had put Him, all of those things under his feet. We are the feet, he's the head. If you feel like you're the lowest bunion in the body of Christ... If you are the corn on the little toe, you're ahead of Satan. You're above Satan. He's under your feet. I don't care if you think you're the sorriest person in here, you've got the supernatural power of God living on the inside of you if you're born again. If you aren't born again, we're gonna let you solve that problem tonight. Amen. But if you are born again, you've got more than enough power, but we've got to renew our minds. And, you know, I just want to thank you for coming out on a Thursday night, you know, to hear a hick from Texas. It's because you, it's because you're hungry to know more of God. But I'm telling you, it's what we don't know that's killing us. But brothers and sisters, we've got the power of God. If we could ever get a revelation of what we've already got, it would just transform us. In Philemon chapter one, verse six, there's only one chapter in Philemon. In verse six, Paul was praying a prayer for his friend Philemon. And he prayed that the communication of your faith would become effectual. That means that we begin to work by the acknowledging of every good thing in you in Christ Jesus. If you want your faith to work, how do you do it? You have to acknowledge... THE GOOD THINGS THAT ARE ALREADY IN YOU IN CHRIST JESUS. MAN, THAT IS A MOUTHFUL RIGHT THERE. THE MORE YOU ACKNOWLEDGE WHAT YOU'VE GOT, THE MORE UNDERSTANDING YOU HAVE OF WHAT GOD HAS ALREADY DONE ON THE INSIDE OF YOU, THE MORE EFFECTIVE YOUR FAITH BECOMES. AND CONVERSELY, the less effective you are in your faith, it's because you don't know what you have in Christ Jesus because you aren't acknowledging all of the good things that are in you. I'm telling you, God's already done it. We have the supernatural power of God. Every person in here can heal the sick, cleanse the lepers and raise the dead. We were commanded to do it. It says in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus was speaking and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. He said we would do the same works that he did. What are those works? He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He saw the blind eyes open, deaf ears open, You know, we heard testimony tonight about deaf people that were healed, about legs that grew out, about bones that had been removed that were placed back just in the last 24 hours. These things are happening today. It'll happen for any person in here. This is one of the reasons that I love this, uh, what we're doing with the Bible College and training up these people and bringing these people with us. Did you know that these miracles we were talking about last night, I didn't pray for them. It was our students who prayed for them that saw the deaf ears open and saw these miracles happen. I love that because the body of Christ has been taught to believe that there are some people that are just super dupers. There are some people that just have more of God than other people. And I've got an anointing and people just come and think I'm the only one that can pray for them. I love it when we train these other people and they learn who they are and they're the ones seeing all of these miracles happen. I love that. It's, It's showing that it's in every one of us. Every one of you have this power. Every one of you. Every one of you. All of you. Man, if you believe that. You know, I was preaching in a church about 25, 30 years ago on this same subject. And I was using John 14, 12, that we can do what Jesus did. And it was a Wednesday night. And I was preaching on this and the pastor got really convicted about that. And he prayed about it. The meeting was over on Wednesday night. He prayed about it. And on Sunday morning, he got up And he said, I just wanna take that scripture that Andrew is using and just amplify on this. He says, God told me that if we really believe, we'll do the same works that he did. And he says, we need to start expecting this. He says, from now on, I'm expecting to see the blind eyes open, deaf ears open, to see people raised from the dead. He says, we will see people raised from the dead. And as he was preaching on it, a guy stood up, grabbed his heart and fell over dead. And they lit, they, the fire station was right across the street. They called 911 and while they were waiting on 911 to come and lady who was a nurse got up and checked his pulse and he was dead, he was gone. And they waited for over 10 minutes. It sh- they could have walked across the street in two or three minutes, but it took them 10 minutes to get there. And while they were waiting, the whole church service was just stopped. And he was wondering, what am I supposed to do? And then he got to remember what he was preaching on. <laughs> And he says, you know what, in the name of Jesus, he says, let's stand around and pray. And they just stood around this man and started praying. And this guy rose from the dead. And when the EMTs got there, they checked him and took him to the hospital. There was nothing wrong with him and they released him. And he called the pastor and he says, you pay for a cab to get me back there. I told you I was okay, I didn't need to go. And the pastor had to pay for the guy's taxi. Back to the thing, but they saw a person raised from the dead just because they started believing that I've got this power, and if I've got it, I'm going to start using it. You know what? There's no shortage of dead people for you to practice on. They got dead people all the time. You can go nearly anywhere. Matter of fact, I heard about four or five sirens this afternoon, people going by. You know what? There's plenty of sick people. I'm telling you, you need to start believing that you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I was in the Baptist church when I got hold of this. And they didn't believe in any of this stuff. They told me this was all of the devil, but I was just reading the Bible and I got to believe in this. And I had a, they wouldn't give me a normal Sunday school class because I was too radical and so they they let me take over this little class that had three people in it and they put me out in a bus that had been stripped. There was no seats in it, no carpet in it or anything and we had to meet in the bus. And so I took these three kids out there and uh, within about a month, we had 45 or 50 kids in that bus and then we bought a... Uh, house and moved it onto the church property. And within a year, we had 350 people in the youth department. And I was teaching them all of this stuff and telling them that, praise God, I'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I'd never seen a person healed in my life. But that's what the Bible said. And I said, if you get sick, don't you stay home. You come to church. We'll lay hands on you and pray for you. I had never seen a person, I didn't know that there had been a person healed in 2,000 years. I'd never heard of another person ever being healed, but it's what the Bible said. And I got to seeing this, and I told them, you come to church. And I remember one Sunday morning, this girl, Diane Jacoby, came to church, and she looked terrible. She was a white girl, but she was green. And she was, she was bad looking. She didn't fix her hair and she just was bad. And I said, Diane, what's wrong with you? And she says, oh, I'm sick. And you told me if we got sick to come to church and you was gonna pray for us. And man, now it was put up or shut up time, amen. I'd never seen a person heal, but I'd, I'd been reading about it. I didn't know how to do it. And so I just said, well, we set a chair in the middle and I had everybody get around her. And we just laid hands on her and prayed the best we knew how and looked at her and she got up and ran out of the room and threw up. And she had to go home. And I thought, well, that went really well. And I was just sitting there thinking, well, I don't know how you do it. I don't know what I was supposed to have done, but I mean, I laid hands on her and the Bible says we lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. And I, I didn't know. I was just thinking, God, what was I supposed to have done? And anyway, that was Sunday school. And so I went into the church service, and I was sitting at the very back kind of sulking about, well, God, this, this looks like it didn't work. And I felt somebody tap me on the shoulder, and it was Diane. And she says, before I could get home, I was totally healed. And she runs to the front of that Baptist church and tells everybody that Andrew laid hands on me, and I was healed and that was the beginning of the end of me being a Baptist. They didn't believe in that stuff but you know what? I didn't know what I was doing but I just knew that somewhere in here I had the same power on the inside of me that raised Christ from the dead and if I did, I wasn't gonna sit there and act like everybody else. I wasn't gonna just sit there and talk about I couldn't do this and that. I was gonna do what God told me to do and I'm still learning. I still don't know what I'm doing. But we're seeing people raised from the dead, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. We're seeing miracles happen. We're seeing God do great things. And I'm telling you, you've just got to get the revelation that you've already got it. God's already done His part. And it's just a matter of us learning what He's already given us instead of begging Him to give us something that we don't have. You're already healed. You've already got the healing power of Jesus Living on the inside of you. Use it. Do something. Act. You know, I've laid a foundation right now. I can teach on a lot of different things about how do you get this power operative. Your words are important. uh, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You've got to speak it. Actions are important. Faith without works is dead. You've got to do something. It does no good for you to be laying there confessing that, oh, I'm going to die, and yet you're trying to somehow or other believe that you've got raising from the dead power on the inside of it. You've got to start speaking it, and then you've got to start acting like a well person would. Amen. If a well person lays in bed 24 hours a day, then you can. But if a well person doesn't, then get up and do something, act well. Do what you don't feel like doing. Jesus told a man with his arm that was shriveled up, just stretch forth your hand. He told him to do what he couldn't do. And as he started trying to move it, well, then the power of God released and he was healed. He told people that couldn't walk to get up and walk. And I'm sure that at first they didn't have the power, but they just did what they could do. And as they started acting, then the power of God flowed. I'm telling you, we are just... Passive, the body of Christ basically is in the mode of saying, Oh God, would you please do this? Would you please heal this person? You are not commanded to pray that God will heal people. You are commanded to go heal the sick. There's a difference between praying for the sick and healing the sick. Instead of asking God to do it, you know, that's a chicken prayer. It's a safe prayer. I mean, after all, God, we ask you to do it. And if nothing happens, well, then you just say, I wonder why God hadn't done it. Or I'm waiting on God. You aren't waiting on God. God's waiting on you. When you stand there and say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to be healed. Such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's risky. That's risky. You're claiming authority and power. It takes some boldness to be able to do that. But I'm telling you, you've already got it. And God has given us all of these things. And until we begin to believe what we've got, our faith's not going to be effective. We're going to have to get a revelation of what we've got, who we are, and we're going to have to start acting like this. The world is looking for people like this. The world is sick and tired of seeing Christians as sick and tired as they are and as poor. They're looking for somebody that has some power in their life. They're looking for something different. I'm telling you, if you would catch on fire for God, the world would come watch you burn. Amen. 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 The World's looking for somebody like that. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you've been born again, You already have this life of God on the inside of you. If I had time to just keep going, you can go to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians and he prays that you will begin to comprehend the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That sounds like a contradiction. If it passes knowledge, then how can you know it? They're two different words. He's talking about that you would experience the love of Christ, which passes mere intellectual knowledge about it. And then it goes on to say that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. When you can comprehend this love and what God has done, you will be filled with all of the fullness of God. It just keeps saying the same thing all the way through the book of Ephesians about what you've already got. It's not praying about God doing something. It's trying to get you to understand what you've already got. That's my heart cry is to try and get people to understand what God has already done for us. That they could start praising God for what Jesus has already done instead of what they're trying to get Him to do. You are living in victory already in your spirit. And if you could renew your mind, your three parts, you get your mind renewed with your spirit, that's two against one, your body will manifest the glory of God. It's a simple majority. But if you keep your mind over here in agreement with your body, well, the doctor says I'm sick and I got a pain and oh, I'm discouraged and depressed. You get to thinking that way and see that that's who you are. That'll shut off the power of God. You still got the power of God living in your spirit, but it'll never manifest If you don't get your mind renewed to it, it's that simple. And you know, the number one thing that turned my life around is when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had not got time to teach on this tonight, but my real quick testimony is the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when he has come, will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken unto you. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, I just exploded on the inside with spiritual understanding. Prior to that time, I've read the I've read the Bible every day of my life since I was old enough to remember. I have never, ever not read the Bible. I have studied the Bible. I've prayed. I've done all of these things. I've never... Gone against the Lord. I've been seeking God my whole life since I was old enough to remember anything. But you know what? It didn't have much impact on me until I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, it became a brand new book. I could open up the Bible and God just shouted at me. These things became real to me. And the, there's many scriptures I could teach on, but the Holy Spirit is sent to teach you all things and to lead you into all truth. It says in First. Uh, Corinthians 2.14, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You have to have the Holy Spirit quicken these things to you. It comes by revelation, not just by knowledge, but by revelation. The Holy Spirit reveals it in your heart and then it comes up to your head. And so if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can't retain the things that I'm talking about. You could even hear me talk about this. You could intellectually agree with what I'm saying and you'll lose it when you go home. It'll be just like you never heard this. If you just rely on your own understanding, your little peanut brain cannot get this without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit just transformed by understanding and revelation. So I'd like to give an invitation tonight for anybody who doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely essential that you get that. First of all, you have to be born again. You can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you've also received Christ Jesus as your Lord. The Bible says Jesus is the one that gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. But if you have received Jesus, and yet you haven't received a second encounter where you receive this baptism, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, then you need to receive it. And there's confusion on that. I haven't got time to teach on all of this tonight, but let me just say that this is separate from being born again. It doesn't have to be separated by years or months. It could be separate by... 10 minutes, 5 minutes, but it is a separate experience. Jesus' disciples believed on Him, confessed Him as their Lord, and He says, you tarry until you receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so they had to wait, and it was a separate experience. With me, I was born again at 8, but I wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit until I was 18. And it is a separate experience. And it includes... Speaking in tongues. It's not limited to speaking in tongues, but it includes speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know that there's different doctrines and some people say, well, right there, see, I disagree. I don't believe that you have to speak in tongues. You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I'm not speaking in tongues right now and yet I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe it's possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues, but it's not possible to do it without some man messing with you. The normal experience in the Bible, they received power and they spoke in tongues. With me, there was a three and a half year difference between when I received the Holy Spirit and when I spoke in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I'd been told that that was of the devil so much and I had so much unbelief, I just wouldn't go there. I wouldn't allow God to speak through me with this gift of tongues. And it doesn't just come upon you like a seizure. You have to choose to speak in tongues. It doesn't, God doesn't force you to speak in tongues. You have to do it willfully. And it took me a while to renew my mind and get to where I understood it. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues. But when I finally started speaking in tongues, it was like turning on the afterburners. It was like, man, power just increased dramatically. I'm telling you, it is a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, you need this gift of speaking in tongues. I could teach on this all night long, but I'm telling you, this is my testimony. It's what the scripture says. And if you don't speak in tongues, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. You need this power to speak in tongues. It will make a difference in your life, amen. Amen. (laughs) You know, I know that there's many of you who watch me on television and because I don't spit and scream and wipe my fevered brow and say, glory to God then you didn't realize I'm one of those tongue talkers and you came here under false pretenses. You didn't know what you were getting into. But I'm telling you, I speak in tongues. I spoke in tongues a long time today. I talk in tongues a lot. And I'm telling you, it's transformed my life. If you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need it. Amen. Is there anybody here who would just be bold enough to say, you know what, I'd like to receive that and I want you to pray for me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you and help you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. we got hands all over the auditorium. Praise the Lord. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.